Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Health, education, roads. Stormont has a long list of priorities. And each and every one of those things has a hefty price tag. Health systems around the Western world are struggling. But Northern Ireland has a particularly acute problem in that when you compare it to the other like-minded healthcare systems, it is unquestionably performing worse. The Treasury has offered to write off almost £600 million of Stormont debt. But that's conditional on ministers raising £113 million and producing a plan to deliver sustainable finances. What if the government says, here's a pot of money, but there's conditions to it? In other words, you're going to have to set up revenue-raising measures. We need a proper funding model. This, look, when you look at how Scotland are funded or how Wales are funded, we are funded below need, and it's not on the basis of us standing with a bag and bowl, which I often hear referred to. This is about us fighting for good public service. This is about fighting for what's right and just, and that is that we're properly funded to deal with the needs of the public that we collectively serve. Should the UK government be coughing up more funding? What does the business sector need? And do we need to have a realistic conversation about raising revenue? I can't think of a single big tax that hasn't come in 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 a difficult economic time. So there's no way of getting around this. If we want more government, we're going to have to pay for it. Uh, Westminster does have a role in doing that, but we have to kick in a bit more as well. To discuss, I'm joined by our business editor, Margaret Canning, technology reporter, Curtis Reid, and by political scientist, David McCann. It's difficult to know where we start. What do we need more money for, David? Okay, give me the easy question first. Um, well, out of the £14.2 billion Stormont budget, um, we need more revenue basically to fix up our declining public services in Northern Ireland. That's predominantly health, education and many others. But the Stormont executive has also committed to embark on some new initiatives around childcare which is also going to be a costly enterprise. And no matter what way you cut it, um, uh, even if more money does come in from the British government, there will need to be some sort of extra revenue raised from the local population um, here to to do those two things of fixing things up whilst also allowing Stormont to embark upon some new initiatives that are being demanded by uh, people in the community. David, we've been brought up with progress, we've been brought up with services, we've been brought up to believe that things are getting better, but everything seems to be getting worse. Is it simply a, a matter of money? And is this happening everywhere? Well, it's not just a matter of money, it's a matter of structure and reform. Look, health systems around the Western world 
are struggling. They are all creaking under pressure from Australia to Canada to here. They're all under pressure. But Northern Ireland has a particularly acute problem in that when you compare it to the other like-minded healthcare systems um, across these islands, it is unquestionably performing worse. And that is a question of structure. Uh, in part, uh, Northern Ireland also spends per head more than any other part of the UK. It's currently nearly about 50% of Northern Ireland's annual budget, believe it or not, nearly £7 billion for a population of 1.9 million people. Uh, our healthcare system is, is particularly costly. Um, uh, but again, um, uh, it is an issue of structure. And part of the problem with that is that we've had government that's been up and down um, that hasn't taken some of the difficult decisions in that respect. Also, you know, Jim Allister regularly points this out, and he is right, many of the problems with our healthcare system have been decisions made in Belfast, not made in London. The previous executives that we have had uh, predominantly since 2007, have ducked the big issues around reform of our healthcare system, whereas other jurisdictions have embarked upon and led on some reforms. So they're not being, so they're not as acutely impacted as we are feeling it here. That's a heavy one, David. It makes me doesn't fill me full of confidence for the future. But nevertheless, we're here to talk about money. How much more money do we need? Was it would anyone like to have a punt at that? Is is there a figure being mentioned in political circles? We've been asked by the Treasury to come up with 113 million through revenue raising options within Northern Ireland, and that's to be done within a year. But I'm sure we need hundreds of millions more to rectify all those deficiencies David has talked about. But that figure of 113 million is going to be hanging over us for a while. And we've got something of a face-off now between the new finance minister, Keith Archibald, and the Treasury, because she's taking issue with the conditions which are now attached to the financial package rewarding the restoration of devolution, the demands for a sustainability plan to be filed with the Treasury by May. That hasn't gone down well with the Finance Minister and the same goes for that £113 requirement, she's saying, and all the politicians are saying we can't impose this requirement on the electorate when they're suffering through a cost of living crisis. But I think they are going to have to swallow some very bitter medicine and just make moves to raise that money. And it's not a nice place for them to be. But I think they really have to make those decisions and move. And with Sinn Féin both in economy and in finance, it could be them left with these awkward decisions and uh, embarrassing political decisions and tough political decisions. But we'll come back to that. Because, Curtis Reid, you have been looking at how the Northern Ireland executive could come up with this £113 million. What could they possibly do? <laughs> a whole lot of things. Um, I mean, Margaret made such a good point there, which is, you know, I, th- I think it was very much when people thought that Stormont was going to be back, it was just going to be this endless pot of money that was just sitting there ready to be tapped in and, and everything was going to be completely fine. And now this sort of, oh, well, by the way, you need to get 113 million together. Um, otherwise, we're we're not really gonna 
uh, be ticking forward. Uh, yes, so uh, yesterday in the Belfast Telegraph, I, I interviewed uh, economist Andrew Webb. He works with Grant Thornton. And we basically just sat down and, and went through some variety of, of options as to how we could actually get this 113 uh, million. Um, I think the big one that everyone uh, talks about and, and something that Michelle O'Neill herself, the, the new first minister, has been very vocal on is, uh, is the subject of water charges. So obviously the UK, or obviously Northern Ireland is very unique when it comes to, to water charges. And I was also saying this, I feel like the discussion around Northern Ireland introducing water charges appears every year. I remember being a child and my mum talking to me about it. It was just, you know, this constant discussion of we were going to be charged for our water. Um, the First Minister uh, speaking to the BBC, you know, she completely ruled out uh, water charges. She said it wasn't going to be one of the the attempts in terms to to, to raise revenue. Uh, so that doesn't look like it's going to be one of the one of the options. Why are you saying to be clear there'll be no revenue raising measures introduced onto your watch as first minister? I'm saying very clearly no to water charges. I'm saying very clearly that you can't burden people who are living through a cost of living crisis with additional household bills whilst their services and public services are declining. Um, but uh, just to put that into perspective, if Northern Ireland uh, were to introduce water charges, previous reports have suggested that it could generate over £300 million. And uh, obviously that's quite a lot more than the £113 million that's uh, that's being asked for. So problem solved, but politically unthinkable at this time. Yeah, I think, you know, when it comes to these, you know, oh, let's look at these options as to how we can raise this money. I think, you know, these aren't exactly... Um, you know, positive aspects. I think that a lot of them, uh, to be perfectly blunt, are things that Northern Ireland uh, has taken for granted for, for many years. Um, you know, I think, you know, things like prescription charges was another possibility that was put forward. Uh, we obviously don't implement those. Uh, and therefore, you know, introducing something like that would obviously contribute a lot of uh, a lot of money. Uh, and then we had uh, other contentious issues like raising tuition fees. So, uh, you know, there was the possibility that the Department of Economy could raise those, uh, which would, again, substantially raise uh, quite a quite a lot of money but I think when you know when you discuss all of these options you know there there are things like you know raising the tuition water charges prescription charges you know getting rid of free bus and real travel you know these, these are all well and good to talk about these as an option but you know as as Andrew Webb made the the great point yesterday which is that these are things that should they be introduced you're going to squeeze the person in society even further and there's going to be consequences on other industries so a great point that he made was that you know if you get rid of free travel for people you know that's going to damage the economy that's going to damage small businesses hospitality you know people wanting to go out people aren't going to go out you know particularly older communities who, who rely on those free bus passes if that's taken away you know they're, they're not going to go and have their coffees and their, you know, their their buns at, in local cafes. And that's small businesses that, you know, Northern Ireland's economy relies on. David, water charges could generate over 300 million, as we've just heard. I, I understand people say, well, this is such a wet place. The reservoirs are full. It's, uh, water is free. That's what people are going to say. And people are, are enraged by the thought of water charges, of course, it's it's all treated, it's all cleaned. But why is it politically unthinkable, unacceptable for politicians to introduce water charges? It truly is the third rail of politics across this island. You may remember about, it would have been about 10 years ago now, the Irish government introduced or attempted to introduce water charges in the Republic. And that sunk the Fine Gael Labour coalition. That is identified by the Labour Party and by Fine Gael as the death nail for that government, that one-term government that had one of the biggest majorities in Irish political history in 2011, and it was gone in 2016. And water charges was identified as one of the big things where Gardaí had to be sent 
into places um, that were getting water meters installed. It was it created it created absolute um, anger in the Irish um, uh, political um, establishment and the wider population. Um, so Sinn Féin, of course, will be looking at that and thinking, well, we don't want to repeat that up here. Um, so obviously it does generate an awful lot of money, as Curtis, and I read Curtis's report uh, with Andrew Webb. Um, it does generate an awful lot of money. Um, I think one of the big issues is that you're right, people don't see it. It's, it we go into upgrading our, our crumbling sewage and water infrastructure. And one of the big, big problems with our sewage and water infrastructure is that it feeds directly into our housing crisis. There were statistics out today. I saw Richard Ramsey, the economist, uh, tweeting out that Northern Ireland new residential builds are at their lowest level since 1990. Why? One of the reasons behind that is that our water infrastructure puts a cap on the amount of houses we can build. We can we just can't build houses in many places because our water infrastructure is so poor. So this is fueling a housing crisis. But the problem is, is that it's that political piece. Water charges are the third rail of Irish politics. They really, really are. Now, there are other things around water that we could do around mutualizing Northern Ireland water, um, but water charges themselves are politically toxic and it would be a brave party that would ever do it. The Alliance Party used to advocate for water charges. That conveniently disappeared from their manifesto when they started uh, jumping up in the polls and now they're a main party. They don't talk about that anymore. Um, So I don't anticipate, um, unless the current executive's got a kamikaze mission, um, uh, like Fine Gael and Labour did back in 2013 and uh, I don't anticipate them doing it. Margaret, human beings, the political human beings, I'm always reminded of one of the finest political quotes I've ever heard. The people of Hilltown want two things. Perfect mobile phone reception and no mobile phone masks. And that I attribute to the late uh, SDLP councillor Michael Kerr. But uh, what, what, it, what it means is people want stuff but they don't want to pay the price for it. Some of the political classes have been responding to the 113 million revenue raising prospect and saying, well, we can't get people who are already poor to pay for poor public services or to pay more for deteriorating public services. But the point is, unless we start paying more, those public services aren't going to improve. So... I feel that politicians maybe need to be a bit more honest and say, OK, this is maybe a little bit of pain, but if we do this, then our public services will improve. So there is an equation there, which will mean we'd hopefully see improvements in our health service and in our roads if we did. Maybe have to cough up for maybe a 10% increase on the regional rate or if maybe some of the rest of us in expensive houses had to start paying rates in accordance with the value of those houses rather than have that rates cap of 400,000 continue. So I totally, politicians will want to be populist and all political parties are the same, but I think a little bit of courage is going to be required and that's what business will want to see from politicians outstaying power and making sure the present executive sticks and gets on with things and really the courage to, you know, there are things outside their control, but they need the courage to change the things that that they can to kind of mangle the old quote a bit. And again, now, now just to be honest, it's not as if business are mad looking to pay taxes either, Margaret. Well, I think they want fairness and equity compared to how things are 
in Great Britain, there's a business rates discount in Great Britain for certain types of hospitality businesses. So business people here would like to see that transferred over to Northern Ireland. And then I think business people would be quite matter of fact about accepting that there's a need for maybe an increase in the regional rate and maybe that we look at those unpalatable things like prescription charges. So I think business, while they'd like to see their own, some types of businesses feel that they have a very valid argument for reductions in their own rates liability. I do think they they face up to things more than maybe politicians do and businesses have had to take some really tough decisions. They've been through four years of perma crises from COVID, the cost of living crisis, so many difficulties. They've had to make hard decisions. So maybe now it's time for our politicians to show that leadership and get on with the realities of our situation. Of course, the problem is, the problem is, and it's often ignored, we elect the politicians. When you talk to people, they often think, you know, the politicians somehow were parachuted in, um, but they weren't. We elected them. So, Curtis, Scandinavian-style public services with American levels of taxation. I mean, it's not possible. No, uh, it's it's not. And, I, you know, I feel like, you know, yesterday I was, I was speaking to somebody and a, and a really good quote was, and Margaret touched upon this, which is, you know, the, the honesty from our political leaders, you know, for them to be just be able to come out and say, listen, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I think... A real problem in that is that so much of the narrative around uh, the DUP not wanting to go back to Stormont was, oh, well, they are, they are, you know, they're leaving Northern Ireland out of this huge pot of money that's just sitting there. And once we're back, everything will be fixed and it will be fine. And now it's kind of a case of, oh, and by the way, we need 113 million. So we're just going to have to do all these things. And I think the general public are looking at that and thinking, but why? I mean, th- th- this doesn't make any sense. You know, surely if this is, you know, this pot of untouched money was already there, why are we not using it? Why Why do we need to go through? And why do we need to discuss things like prescription charges and water charges? You know, why are they even, you know, entering the discussion? So I, I to put it simply, I think it's just a PR nightmare for political leaders here. That's well put, Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mark. But yeah, I just, I just think it's, it's just very much about the image of it, I think, is is really, really important. And I think, and, I, and I'm under no impression that, you know, our political leaders are, are looking at this and they understand that this is a very difficult situation and this is a very awkward situation to have to discuss these things and to have to discuss revenue raising, you know, and it's about developing that long-term financial sustainability and to reduce that reliance on UK funding. Um, which the UK government hopes that will encourage the the executive themselves to develop their own revenue sources. But hold on, hold on, hold on, Curtis. <laughs> and I think this is a strong point. I've spoken in Dublin outlets uh, and there's this impression given and it's repeatedly given that, you know, Northern Ireland has to hand out and takes the money from the treasury. And I have to consistently point out this, excuse me, I pay taxes. Yeah. I don't pay my taxes to Belfast. I pay them to London. And I expect a certain amount of that back. But there is a political point made and a highly politicised point made that somehow Northern Ireland is this begging bowl, a constant begging bowl. Having said that, David McCann, 
Michelle O'Neill says, I was listening to Michelle O'Neill and she, and she says Northern Ireland isn't treated in the same way as Scotland and Wales. Does she have a case there that we need simply more money distributed from the central pot that we contribute to? Well, the British government has tacitly uh, accepted that Northern Ireland has been underfunded. One of the big disputes um, with, that the current executive has with the Treasury is that the Northern Ireland executive wants that backdated to year 2020-21, um, that financial year, and they want uh, and they want essentially to be compensated um, for that and for some of the underfunded. I mean, look, quite often Storbin sounds like, I don't know if you remember that Simpsons episode where Homer Simpson runs for sanitation commissioner and he runs on the slogan of, can someone else do it? Um, uh, and quite often Stormont does come across like that and they do come across like um, uh, like Homer Simpson um, running the, the, the Waste Department of Springfield. But um, uh, Michelle O'Neill does have a point to somewhat of a degree, but no matter what way you cut it, people in Cardiff, people in Glasgow pay more in local tax than we do here, no matter what way you cut that. There are a lot of very wealthy people in Northern Ireland. There are a lot of people in Northern Ireland who are doing very well, um, who, for example, send their kids to school for free here, for equivalent schools that you would have to pay fees for over in England, Scotland, Wales, and in the Republic of Ireland. People, again, were, are paying prescription charges uh, across the rest of these islands. They're not paying them in Northern Ireland. Stormont, I think, allocates a lot of its resource very poorly. We do a lot to subsidise very middle-class families uh, and above. We we leave behind, quite frankly, a lot of people who are very working class uh, as a result of that. I mean, I'll give you a key example of spend. And again, small, it's chump change. I'm not arguing that it's indicative of the overall spend, but... Um, we had, we got devolved over a decade ago, um, long-haul air passenger duty. Uh, Matthew O'Toole, the current leader of the opposition, found out that the Northern Ireland executive is currently spending north of £2 million per year still on this air passenger duty. We've got no long-haul flights. That is just an example of just some spend that goes awry in Northern Ireland. So again, uh, Andrew Webb, I did in Curtis's report, yes, they said we need to be looking at, at how we're spending some of the money. That is right. Uh, British government's approach isn't really helpful to that by demanding everything. They're almost coming across a bit like the IMF um, in how they're doing it. But I would just kneel one thing that our politicians are saying is that, oh, you can't introduce local charges and local taxes in difficult economic times. I did a little wee bit of um, prep for this. I can't think of a single big tax that hasn't come in, in in a difficult economic time. You think about universal social charge that came in in the Republic. That came in in 2009 when the Irish economy was in the horrors. In 1946, the Labour government expanded national insurance. They mandated that every worker had to kick into the system to pay for the welfare state, the National Health Service. So there's no way of getting around this. If we want more government, we're going to have to pay for it. Um, Westminster does have a role in doing that. Um, but again, we have to kick in a bit more as well. Otherwise, we are just a wee bit like the Homer Simpson, let someone else do it. And we all saw how that ended up in that episode in The Simpsons. Yeah, it does say, I mean, it's, it's, it's the point we were making. You know, we want, I suppose, to talk about it in a highfalutin way, we want Keynesian spending with libertarian taxation. And I mean, it just doesn't work. And, and all parties seem to be these populist low tax parties and yet everyone wants this expanded strong state to look after us all and yet we are in this political conundrum Margaret you've been writing about that political conundrum that Sinn Féin will find itself in does find itself in because of course Sinn Féin are operating on two different sides of the border 
they deal with two different sets of problems and politics isn't fair and people will exploit that and people will take the mickey. Yes, their political opponents in the Republic will have a field day with some of the policies they're having to implement in Northern Ireland where they're in government and they have no less than three tricky government departments with big spending decisions to make. They hadn't foreseen that they'd end up with the finance department. That was landed on them really when when DUP didn't go for finance as they were expected to. So you have Sinn Féin campaigning in the South on populist policies like uh, solidarity tax on incomes of more than €140,000 and you have them taking a very strong stance against international funds, which they'll call vulture funds and vampire funds, buying residential property in the South. But in Northern Ireland, there's a tacit recognition that you need international funds to acquire office blocks and invest in office blocks because so much of our office estate is about a decade behind where the Republic's is. So I don't think the electorate in the South will pay particularly close attention to what those Sinn Féin ministers are doing in office. But I do think it will be pretty rich pickings for their political opponents in the South. And they had been looking, their prospects had been looking pretty rosy, but the last opinion poll had Sinn Féin support falling. So maybe they are now going to be less of a threat to the main parties in in the South than they'd been expected to be a few months back. But it is definitely going to be tricky for them to be riding two horses, government in the North and opposition and a general election campaign at some point this year in the South. David, can I ask you a question just picking up from what Margaret just said about the politics of this. I mean, you were saying, explaining how easy some of the wealthy people in Northern Ireland get it and how easy the middle classes get it and how squeezed the working class gets it. Many people might say, well, that seems like something which could be helped by some sort of redistribution of wealth. But you can't redistribute wealth without having the necessary levers of power to do that. I listened to Michelle O'Neill arguing passionately against money-raising powers in Northern Ireland. That's, I found well, that extraordinary. If you look at Scotland, which does have tax very powers to an extent, it did take them nearly 20 years to get around to actually using it. But once the SNP government did go and use it, um, they actually uh, found that it was actually quite useful and they've actually used it a few times since. In fact, in their most recent budget, they've actually upped taxes um, again uh, to pay for some of the priorities that they want to pay for as uh, as a Scottish nation. Um, I am a supporter of, of more tax raising powers coming back to Stormont. Um, I think it is, um, it is a longer term trajectory that the party should be working toward. I don't really know why we why you would want to keep them um, uh, in the hands of um, of London for. I mean, ultimately, you'll only get a varying power. You wouldn't get a full devolution of it. But I do think that there is that there is an opportunity. If people want more government, if people want the government to do more things for them, um, uh, I do think that there is a debate to be had here, and there is something that Sinn Féin in particular should be leading on. Now they've got the two main economic portfolios plus the first ministership. This is something that they should 
be leading on and they should um, uh, and they really should be framing the debate on. Sadly, at the moment, um, I don't think that is that is happening to the degree that it needs to. Curtis, how do you feel about a wee storm and tax then coming out of your wages? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, it's it's such a it's such a difficult argument to be made. You know, I, I you know, there's there's you know, both David and Margaret have made such good points. You know about this. You know, it's regardless, they're just not going to win uh, either way. You know, they're they're coming back in to, to storm and tears, Sinn Fein, you know, in particular. You know, you know, flying the flag. You know obtaining this office and, and you know making sure but anything that they do in these difficult conversations they're they're not going to they're not going to be popular and and I do I do take the approach of you know these difficult conversations do need to be had and I go back to an earlier point which sometimes I think that Northern Ireland has a connotation of taking a lot of things for granted yeah it's like uh, if you uh, communities education uh, these are smaller departments but you can give presents to your own supporters with these departments. You can give a new school. You can give recognition to a school. You can give a nice little grant. You know, those are the those are the small departments which mean a lot here. And it's great scope for ministerial soundbites like Gordon Lyons yesterday saying as communities minister, I'll be a sports minister for all. You know, these are nice statements for our politicians to have to come out with, whereas if you're a finance and economy minister, there's just not going to be any uh, warm fuzzies from what you have to say. But David, I think we'll end with you with a word of wisdom, I hope. These aren't um, problems specific to us. These are universal problems, surely. Look, governments are, public services across the Western world are in difficulties. There is no doubt about that. This is not unique to Northern Ireland. Quite often we think that Northern Ireland is the only place in the world with these problems. We're not. Um, the difference with Northern Ireland, though, is that governments are making attempts. <laughs> and again, we can talk about how good or how successful those attempts are um, to try and solve these problems. Obviously, we've only had an executive back for 11 days at this stage by the time at the time we're recording this. Um, we just need to wait and see whether they can come up with the budgets and the strategies that are needed to be able to resolve um, the main public policy challenges that we have, and there are quite a few of them. But look, we can solve it. Crisis is a great time to do this. Crisis presents massive opportunities. What we haven't done so, what we're doing, what we've done to date hasn't worked. So let's hopefully we can try something different. David McCann, Margaret Cannon, Curtis Reid, thank you very much. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you, Kieran. This episode of The Bell Tell was produced by myself, along with Graham Davidson and Olivia Peden. The clips you heard were from the BBC, UTV and Sky. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.